Oh, I had one. I wanted to surprise you, but now I got to remember what it is. Okay, so last time it was the Victorian boy who I scared away. Yes, no, I love that one. But I had one this morning when I woke up, and then I fell back asleep. Uh, <laughs> oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. But I wanted it to be a pure surprise. I didn't want to warn you. Okay, well, let's. I'll, I'll clear the mind. Okay, I'm ready. Good morning, everybody. This is the 90-minute brain trust podcast. It's like a kind of like a shock rock style uh, my name is Adam the Ass Vass. <laughs> Coming at you live uh, from the stud. I'm a and I'm game. Willie. I'm Willie the Guz Yopst. And we're the two disgusting brothers. <laughs> we just need to throw some like Wilhelm screams and <laughs> some like like a sample of someone being like, oh yeah. And then, like, a explosion, like, go pure chalk rock morning show on this okay. one. The th- here's two things about that. First of all, thank you. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> I definitely didn't know you could do that. Um, the ass vass. Um, I, I always, I don't know how to explain this to you and make it seem real. I was listening to shock radio this morning. Like, I woke up, I had a long conversation with um, my game group that's like my two little brothers and my friend, uh, just about music and listening to the radio, and I was like, okay, I might as well, like, reinstall my internet radio app where you can pick a geographic location and listen to all the radio there. And I went to Washington, D.C., which is the radio I listened to growing Mm -hmm. up, and just was listening to shock jocks talk about, like, peeps. Like the marshmallows. The, the marshmallow thing. And they were describing this thing called a peep war that one of the guys was like, yeah, me and my bud used to do peep wars before I got fired. <laughs> and <laughs> a peep war, okay, game designers, game players in the world. A peep war is when you uh, get a selection of peeps and then the rabbits. I don't know what those are called. Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> There's rabbit ones, right? Yeah, no, there are. But the, the, I love marshmallows, um, and now I am blessed with Dandy's vegan marshmallows, kind of running the market. But nice. I used to love Peeps, and uh, but I've never considered this sort of uh, epistemology. Is that the word <laughs> of the different of the different shapes? Okay, so a peep war is when you select a peep and your opponent select a peep, much like a Beyblade or like a prize fight or a cockfight or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it is cockfighting. <laughs> yes, um, little chicks. Little chicks. And you put them on a plate and you put them in the microwave and you see which one wins um, because they get huge in the microwave and they go wild, right? So that is the... I was listening to Shock Radio this morning. And that's the, that's exactly, it's so strange that you bring this up. It's so, so funny because every th- three person podcast is doing the same format where you have one person reading a news article and then one person just going like, I bet they wish they had a fart machine. <laughs> and then there's someone who just laughs. I think, I think their only role is laughing and saying like, meh. Oh, that's a meh from me. I heard a guy say meh on the radio, and I was, like, forcibly sent back to dig.com. Like, oh, my God. Um, what I like better than the three-person podcast is the fake TikTok podcast. Have you seen these? Oh, yeah. Um, 
I've considered using one as marketing uh, shtick. <laughs> like, like just hamming it up big time. So, in my game, this is like how I would do the fake. Um, so, like a fake TikTok podcast is when someone is setting up a podcast recording with like all this weird backlighting for their studio with like a blue light behind them and they've got a pop guard. By the way, can you hear my new pop guard? Peter piped a pickle of peppers. <laughs> Whatever. Um, and they just say something, they just say a hot take and it kind of uh, legitimizes it because it looks like they're talking to someone else and they're also talking off access access to like yeah. a, a person who doesn't exist i've um, seen specifically people who will use like the red curtain to imply that they're on the joe rogan show oh my god um yeah so get a red curtain and then you kind of make a face like you just pulled an incredibly uh, like dank puff right <laughs> something <laughs> like that um yeah and then you'll just say, i mean let's do a couple takes of this so maybe i'll make a little fake podcast intro music and then uh, we can do a couple hot takes um for our fake podcast on this podcast yeah. we're demoing our fake podcast uh it's just like oh here's my inhale <laughs> The people who play D&D, right? These are the people on the outside of society. And <laughs> they they don't... They, they think they know what they want, but they don't know. And I'm here to tell them, right? And the thing that they want is power. And the thing that my game does, it gives you power. Sex is power. And D&D &D is power. Levels. And CR, what does that stand for? Uh, what does CR stand for, actually? Critical role. No, 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 no. Challenge no, rating. Challenge rating. Um, when I'm creating an encounter with my challenge rating, I really like to look at how I'm maxing those numbers on the inside. Hold on, hold on. If you think about... It, the challenge rating is a number, right? And say the challenge rating is 12, and you add 1 plus 2, that's 3. So the challenge <laughs> rating is really 3, and 3 is a holy number. Yeah, just very, just veering instantly into numerology is good. <laughs> yeah, angel numbers for sure. When I look at alignment, I look at my own life, and when I have been lawful good, when I have been chaotic evil, my time in college, for sure. But now, <laughs> I think I'm kind of a chaotic, good, neutral uh, cusper. And so I'm looking at the space between the alignments. Sorry, I'm actually creating something interesting. Um, <laughs> L, 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 L. Um, here's what Baldur's Gate teaches us about fashion and games. Um, bards be absolutely goofy, though. <laughs> It's hard to it's hard to make your brain create the the bad stuff. Oh yeah, I don't think we're entrenched enough in that bad realm to truly mock it, but I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah, we did. Congratulations. Yeah, nice. We are here on the Brain Trust podcast. That is Adam Vast the ass and this is Willie Guz <laughs> the Yopst. <laughs> Oi, Guz. Oi, Guz. <laughs> the ass. Um
Victorian boy came back this episode. We he's a, we're he's on the team now and, he's, and he's a hooligan. <laughs> he is a <laughs> Yeah, he's instead he grew up into like a UK garage junglist, <laughs> like a drum and bass head. <laughs> um, uh this is a game design podcast, obviously, where we do things like uh talk about shock radio, fake podcasts, and TTRPGs. Um on this episode, we've got a cool thing in store that we previewed last episode. We're going to make um, a game based on a very rare and important fire starter. But before, we were talking about this um, on the pre-show that we have and don't record, <laughs> uh, The Hangout, um, about uh, we don't actually talk about like a very critical part of tabletop role-playing for us and something that we off mic talk about all the time um and might be like one of our primary forms of like art sharing which is like graphic design and layout and um i it's very funny because you said before uh, before we started recording, it's really hard to talk about graphic design and not sound in like, audio format specifically yeah. like Imagine in your mind's eye a serif type. Look at the box I'm creating in the corner. Um, yeah, and it's something that uh, it's easy to sound like a blowhard, like to immediately get way too academic or philosophical about graphic design. Instead of like, I see your graphic design practice as extremely inspirational and it also dovetails with visual design and product design and just fine art creation. Um, and I think it comes back to the research episode we're talking about where it's just like constant ingestion, all you can eat buffet. It's, it's Pinterest, it's Instagram, it's YouTube. But when I'm like sitting down to have breakfast and I throw on YouTube, um, I'm usually watching like tutorials for grunge texture or, I really love Elliot is a cool guy. I love YouTube. the Texture Labs channel. And even oh, if it's yeah. something that I won't use, but just like seeing how someone else uses the same software to accomplish their goal. It's cool and inspiring. Um, I you also know, I actually as an affinity user, I know you're um, yeah, Adobe still a pilled a pilled. I'm a pilled. <laughs> yeah. I love a pill. Uh, and I also do the same thing where like. I am watching because every tutorial is basically for InDesign or Illustrator, but Affinity gets there. Like you can get there, and so figuring, like seeing the cool tutorial by someone like Shannon Swales or someone like that um, on TikTok or on YouTube Shorts or whatever, YouTube Pants. I, in my mind, get better at graphic design because I'm finding the route to getting this effect or finding a cool poster on Pinterest. And trying to replicate that effect with the Affinity Suite. Um, it's really it's really fun. It's very satisfying. And it, I feel like it's a thing you level up really fast in when you're, when you're doing it. Yeah, and I think doing it also entails just, like, thinking about it and looking at it. Um, when last, or I was going to say last time we hung out, which is not true. This was four or five years ago. Um, <laughs> when you visited L.A. and we got to go to the art museum and, like, just see art and kind of, like, <laughs> I, I think we talked about it on the show back then, but, like, 
we're going to design the Andy Warhol RPG oh, because yeah, we're looking yeah. at these prints and like you coming at it in that sort of historical context way and me coming at it from printmaking background and like looking really close at these fine details of like what makes this work compelling to me as someone who enjoys screen printing like just the ingestion and processing of art is such a cool thing and i think um it's easy especially in rpgs to limit that to games text whether that be setting or tables or mechanics or whatever Mm -hmm. and kind of the big illustrative ideas that the games are kind of selling you right the the cover the graphics but the type the type hierarchy um why is this font here why is this one this color why is this whatever um is continuing that education i think it's really fun and cool to just see and i think with that you know we've both been looking elsewhere for layout and design inspiration um, and finding really neat and cool and useful stuff so um just as like a quick plug too i was just before this call and then sent will a link to um struthless or st ruthless on youtube uh it's this australian dude who i like to watch and he made a video about sort of the history of typefaces and why certain things are certain ways historically and sociologically like why serif fonts are the way that they are and and the sort of proliferation of the printing press and how that affected type design and stuff like that and uh it's just very interesting and it it sort of can help inform type choice as we're both doing like layouty stuff. Like here's a couple fonts, you know, especially when you get into the weeds of like traditional serif fonts or something where they're all kind of doing the same thing and accomplishing the same goals, but they have a different historical context or like rationale behind the design. And that's easily invisible to a lot of people. But um, when you're just scrolling through or like, you know, you see, yeah, it's very interesting. The history and, like, the provenance for something like Baskerville is also really interesting because Mm -hmm. there's, like, a billion types and people have their own types. And it's, yeah, like, what is the OG? What is the one to use? What is the one that works for you? It's really fascinating. Uh, Type is uh, an infinite well to go down. It's something I talked about on Twitter this week as time of recording um, was that I saw like type a type hierarchy video where someone was talking about <laughs> the golden ratio oh my god um yeah so this idea that like your brain reads type on a page in a in a trackable way you know like if you read a page a hundred times you would probably read it the same way you know if you were doing an experiment and that's like reading the big text first reading the smaller text under it next reading the paragraph after that and then finding the tiniest text on the page which was secretly over at the top and there is a really great graphic designer on tiktok who i will link in the the show notes whose name i forget um i believe he's like a british graphic designer and he uh just does these very basic explainers that are like when you're doing type hierarchy just use your eyes like just trust your eyes don't don't do math you know don't scam yourself by doing a bunch of math for this stuff because it's ultimately your eyes 
And this one I saw earlier that's like the golden ratio you're referring to, this guy was using the golden ratio and finding a, an, an initial type size and then dividing the golden ratio by that. So you had this like brutally disgusting <laughs> decimal point. Yeah, after- if, your type, if your type size isn't an, a whole integer... Yeah, get, get out of my face. And honestly, if it's not an even number, like I'm actually <laughs> down to go like that, because it doesn't matter. Use your eyes. I've fallen in this trap for sure. The the guy on TikTok, uh, he was doing this explaining like use your eyes, you know, use your feel, feel through it. Um, even talks about like you shouldn't just use shortcuts. Like take your header text, divide it by two. That's your heading two text. Um, never do that. Just like use your eyes because you're, you, you know, in your brain and then you can figure out why it was appealing to you. Don't use these shortcuts to create appeal when you yourself, uh, are not engaged in that process of like exploring what is appealing to me. And I feel like I oscillate wildly between different typographic schools of thought. Um, and how that stuff like (laughs) interacts with each other and the different, uh, tenants that they have. And now I'm, I'm deeply on this kind of like, use your eyes, use your gut. Don't worry about the golden ratio. You will accidentally be doing the golden ratio. And that's kind of the point of the golden ratio. Right. This idea that it's like a visual standard in some way, like you'll recognize it when you get it. It's supposed to be accept it as beautiful so like if you see something and it's beautiful then like you accomplish the same goal yeah i i heard a really great explainer by cynics who is a digital artist um who does absolutely incredible anatomy videos and he is an artist that does a yearly art competition that i did for the first time uh this year which was amazing uh, so Cynics does this yearly art competition that I did this year. I grew a lot during it, but in one of his videos, he talks about the golden ratio, and it finally unlocked it for me because I used to think it was such like a restrictive art historian style tool that was only to be applied after the fact to be useful, and it was specifically in that kind of swirling Fibonacci thing, yeah. if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I do. But, I have a tattoo of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love it and it rocks. No, but it's uh, like he explained it in such a meaningful way to me, which was it is the look. How do I explain this? It's a method of creating a difference between sizes or something like that. It's the way the brain if you had to find a number for the thing we can group as different objects, so you take one rectangle, it's one size. You take another rectangle, you put it at the golden ratio next size down, which is like divided by, you know, 1.618 or whatever. <laughs> I hate that I know that. <laughs> um, it is it is clearly different, and it's the when something begins to be separate. And so just treating it like very abstract, like this meaningful unit of difference was really really useful and i think that that goes really well for layout as well yeah i do think the way that it mess or like intersects with grids and layout and stuff is nice 
for sure. Um, it's it's close to the rule of thirds too in photography. Like one point yes. six is close enough to like point six repeating or whatever. Yeah. So um, yeah, it kind of serves a similar function. And again, that's just another way of saying like this isn't a hard rule, but it's going to help you understand why things are visually appealing to humans in some way. And that's valuable information, whether you choose to use it or choose to ignore it or whatever. It's still kind of interesting to know. Yeah. And the goal is like you internalize that and are able to not think about it and incorporate it into your art. Right. Rule of thirds is really good actually, because it create like when you get that like three by three grid, it helps you find the different focal points. Mm hmm. And that goes back to the intro when we're talking about the alignment grid and going to the points between the alignments, <laughs> what happens when you're at the intersections. Um, anyway, maybe we can do a bonus episode about graphic design because I feel like we could go on for a whole season about it. Yeah. But yeah. Cool. Maybe we can talk about like projects we're working on right now and that stuff. But anyway, what, what are we talking about on this episode? We're talking about 400 billion dead cops. <laughs> <laughs> the world is a fuck you know it you love it it's the fire starter of all fire starters born um, to die the world is a fuck kill them all 1989 i am a trash man 410 billion 757 million 864,000 5300 dead cops uh and we got we got a cat and dog hugging each other so we're gonna make this a game yeah if you haven't seen this image you can check the show notes uh i think it's just from a randomly a random t-shirt somewhere yeah or something for, like for that. some reason i want to say it came from like one of like a mistranslated t-shirt um, yeah exactly like when you see the sega the hedge or sonic the hedgehog with obama like a uh, backpack <laughs> or whatever like just like weird bootleg sourcing scraping and this came out um so we've got already this is a this is a playstorm segment presumably right yeah let's hear the playstorm theme got our sort of building blocks of our setting here um let's go line by line and just see what we can extract from this okay it's like the electric bastion land intro yeah um, <laughs> which let me let me dig that up really quick because it's doing kind of the same thing each line is additive to the setting and so we're gonna kind of re-explore we had our first two episodes come out as of time of record people like them thank you so much um and we had a little dialogue about like the electric bastion land um and other great fire stars and i read it the other episode oh i found it okay uh yeah jason bostwick posts this thank you jason bastion the electric hub of mankind the only city that matters deep country it stretches forever the long shadow of our past in the underground machines undermine reality aliens are here from beneath the living stars you have a failed career you have a colossal debt 410 billion dead cops. <laughs> <laughs> Treasure is your only hope. 
So maybe we can do this bashing line thing where we have the first line be the first phrase in the little stanza. So yeah. like we have Born- the stanza and then we build the the story underneath each one of the things. So Born to Die Born to Die is both the name of the game and also our first header. Yes. Um with that obviously we're on these sort of no future doomer vibe. Yeah, th- this shit sucks, and we're probably not getting out of here, but we can maybe take down some dead cops with us. Um, so we have this like fatalist, balls to the wall kind of energy going on. Um, yeah, immediately I'm thinking there maybe there's not a supernatural thing going on. Maybe it's more like we have no future, so we will rock, like you've said. So with that, I think born to die second line world is a fuck i think so in the firestarter conversation i brought up summer camp island which is uh, it's gonna go with the cat and dog thing but it's not not necessarily the text it's a very soft <laughs> cute cartoon network show but in it the moon is our friend and more than just like we use the moon to navigate or whatever like it's got a face and it talks to you sometimes so i think world is a fuck the world is a fuck and uh it like hates everybody on it and that's maybe why we're born to die like the the world is going to be like everybody get off my fucking back i i'm done with y'all yeah like it's a after the human age there is the world now and it's a fuck maybe it's like there's natural disasters or it's actually a designed place that someone can control against you I think the world itself controls it against you because it's a fuck. So it is like a sentient being. Maybe the world is a fuck. The line we can put under that is like this planet has a brain and it has a headache. And it's full of hate. It's full of hate. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So let's feed that back into I think we hold off on creating the line under um, born to die because I feel like that's going to be the huge one. Yeah, I see what you're going for now. Yeah, the planet has a brain and it's full of hate. <laughs> it's like I have no mouth, but I must scream, <laughs> which I which I just read recently. In that story, the world is controlled by a supercomputer, and there's only like six people left alive, and the supercomputer keeps them alive for hundreds of years and just tortures the fuck out of them. (laughs) And that's it. Harlan Ellis said rules. (laughs) Um, The next line is Kill Em All 1989. Um, So... My gut says the world's goal is to kill them all. Like... The world wants to expunge all life on its back, and it is the year 1989. Or is it our goal to kill them all? Hmm. I think probably both, but maybe we'll set it like 1989 is the year the world has decided that hmm. it will stop. You know, it's go- the plan is in action. Do right? you know there's um, a couple of symbols before Kill Em All that is in... A different language. Yeah, let me look that up. Um, I was trying to look that up. That might be helpful. It's probably on Know Your Meme, which is an embarrassing suggestion to make. I'm on Know Your Meme (laughs) right now. (laughs) Born to Die 1989. 
Uh, let's see what... Okay, I have the kanji. No, it's Chinese, my bad. Um, let me translate that. I'm so curious. Watch it be so inconsequential. No, it's actually going to be sick. Are you ready for this? Yeah. That's going to actually unlock a lot. <laughs> uh, it is Chinese. It translates to ghosts and gods. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Guishen. That's awesome. So Guishen? Yeah, that's it. Sorry, Chinese has tones, and my dumbass brain couldn't. Uh, ghosts and gods kill them all in 1989. Uh, so I think that might be our target. I think we, the, the, the them that is kill them all is the ghosts and gods. They need killing. So we're saying ghosts and gods, comma, kill them all. Yes. Nice. The ghosts and gods. So these are agents of the planet. Yeah, and they need to be murdered. <laughs> um, so oh, that's that unlocks so much in this setting. That's yeah, so cool. So I think the line under that is like, um, the you know something like uh, the powers that be are watching their towers crumble by our hands or something like that. Like. Or more actively, like, topple the towers of the ghosts and gods. Yeah, perfect. I love that. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to see how we finesse this, this next part. <laughs> Go ahead. I am trash man. I'm trash man. I mean, maybe we're in the cataclysm, and there is just, like, a 1980s level of, like, splendor that has been in like excess 80s excess that is just in landfills and in trash and the world is trashed yeah and I'm... that is like the action in the game we are constructing our tools to dis you know destroy this house of god from the trash of the world yeah i i dig that there's trash everywhere and that's our main resource that we use like that's what we use to fight back. We're making weapons out of trash. There's a crafting mechanic, and uh, we it's are... It's got to be, like, the main part of the game, I think. I think it is the crafting. Crafting and, like, sourcing. So, like, yes. there's an a aspect of, like, diving into a landfill, and there's a ghost of uh, Gordon Gecko or, like, Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Jordan Belfort is... <laughs> <laughs> just floating over to your great Pacific garbage patch. Um, yeah, so I am trash man. I rifle through. I'm I'm speaking while I write their wastes to forge my weapons. Yes. Yeah, I imagine that this game has like the two phases that we're kind of outlining with this fire starter. It is so cool to work backwards and find out what the game's about. It's like yeah. really interesting. But the phases are like toppling the towers and rifling through the debris, the remains. Yeah, in a way, it's very traditional. Do the mission and then loot the the reward. I like the idea that it's a game where you're creating as much advantage as possible and you're blowing it all when you have to. Yeah. Like everything 
is coming to a head. Everything's because, disposable. Everything's born to die, baby. Yeah, the world is a fuck, by the way. <laughs> um, and then okay. lastly, the 410 billion dead cops. Yeah, um, 400 billion dead cops. I mean, this is kind of like, to me, I'm immediately thinking of kill 5 billion demons. I don't know. I, I've heard the name, but I don't know anything about it. It's, yeah, it's the Lancer. <laughs> Lancer guy. Um, yeah, it's, I haven't read it, but I just know it's someone versus unbeatable odds. But. So, I think, well, here, here are my two ideas. Because they're dead cops, I think maybe they're already dead, and so the the next line would be like, uh, no one to tell us what we can't do. It's up to us. You know, like, there is no ruling authority there's no like microman there are no cops anymore um so this world is just like free to do whatever and i do like that as a sort of minor uplift after a world is a fuck uh as like a everything here sucks but at least there's no cops um yeah or like it's a the kill counter and the cops are those ghosts and gods that... That was the other thing I was going to say, yeah. is, like, the 410 billion dead cops are many of, of the ghosts, and, like, they are our enemies. What if the 400 billion is the goal, and you start the game at zero? And so <laughs> it's like, well, you have to get up to... It's like uh, Sandy Pug's... 10 the, million HP. 10 million HP planet. Yeah. And it's after that, so you're just trying to create... That game's all about creating a bizarrely huge amount of damage, you know, through the action of the game. Yeah. Uh, which I love. So maybe it's something like that. Like, another game that having a huge number, either being a goal or a, a sword above your head. Um, uh, hard Space. Oh, my God. What's the name of this game? Hard Space Shipbreaker is a game where you disassemble ships and sell the parts and you're working like a blue collar job and you begin the game with like $5 million, $5 billion in debt and every ship you're, you're carving that debt down and having that kind of goal, you know, it's speaking directly to Bastion land too, where you start with just excruciating debt. Maybe this is like your mission on this world. Yeah. It, I mean, when it million with an M becomes billion with a B, <laughs> have you ever have you ever seen what a billion of something looks like? Will absolutely not. <laughs> I have no way of understanding <laughs> numbers that big cannot be understood by the human brain. Yeah. Um, what's the angel number of dead cops? Um, I uh, I feel like this is not a knock in, in any way that. The obvious answer to this is those. That's our objective. That's our enemy, yeah. and I think that's good and fine. Especially like, you know, with the thing that we've been supplied with this this meme graphic, we don't have to dig too deep. Um. So let's say four hundred billion dead cops. Uh, like we won't sleep till they're all expunged from the earth. Yeah, or like killing their ghosts or something like that. Yeah, I guess exercised might be a good word. We won't sleep till their ex their ghosts are uh, banished from our planet. 
<laughs> Their souls are. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching Charmed embarrassingly, and oh, nice. they they vanquish demons, and I feel like uh, these are souls that need to be vanquished. Nice souls to vanquish is great. So we won't sleep till their souls are all vanquished. Um, we circle back to the born to die. And the image above the yes, cat yeah. and the dog. <laughs> well, I think the easiest thing there is like we play humanoid or like anthro animal people. Nice. The little Cute scratch mutants. and claw, a little mutant year yeah. zero. I think too. There's something to be said about like it's a cat and dog, like enemies made <laughs> comrades. <laughs> yes, that's great. Um, and they, you know, they're not holding any weapons. They look nice, and I like the idea. Cats and dogs also love going and rifling through garbage. <laughs> so I feel like a raccoon could be one. A squirrel. Yeah, let's. We got cat and dog. Let's go like six. I feel like that's the classic number of player options, and at least in like I'm um, in the Morborg world, so there's always six classes: cat, dog, raccoon. Is there like a bird or There's something? There's got to be some kind of bird. I'm going to go with pigeon because I think we're going kind of, you know, like baseline animals. You know, like yeah. they're not like zoo animals or, or exotic in any way. They're just like domestic. Um, I think we need something with a hoof too. Maybe like a pig or a donkey. I love a pig. A pig is known, of course, for rifling. <laughs> so eating anything. Um, and then let's get an outlier of something like a. And like a snake or a frog. Oh, I love that. Um, I I gotta say, frog. Love frog f- is definitely cuter. Love a frog. All right, we got our six player options. Okay, um, so I think dog and cat are the iconics. You know, dog is kind yes. of like <laughs> in a a friendly but can be aggressive in a dog way. Cats are a little sneakier and enigmatic and smart. I think that's what you say. So I think. Yeah, I'm going to actually dilute this to one word for each one, um, just for the sake of simplicity. Cat is uh, clever. Dog is brave. Brave. Pigeon flies. Duh. <laughs> Raccoon. I think, yeah, <laughs> flies, but also I think pigeon is like... Uh, pigeons are... What is the word? Stubborn. Yeah, that's a good one. Stubborn. Um, raccoon is like something stealthy, like uh, sneaky. Sneaky. Um, pig. I almost want to just put hungry. I feel like that's like a, <laughs> doing some some work. Yeah, I like that. And then frog. <laughs> wild card, maybe. What is frog? Yeah, wild card. Weird, maybe. I love a weird. Uh, what's squirrel? Squirrel would be, I guess, spry or like quick. Quick. That's great. And then because we need an even number, let's get one more in here. Yeah, of course. So we have seven. Font rules. Um, let's see. Some another we... cute animal. Another cute bunny. A mouse. Oh, bunny's mouse. great. Bunny. Let's go bunny because I think it's more distinct. 
Um, More stuffed animal. Mouse is between a raccoon and a squirrel, so. Um, Bunny alert. Oh, that's good. They're fucking ready. Yeah, they're they're locked in. So... We've got our characters. We've got our setting. We've got <laughs> I our mission. I love this game already. It's oh, yeah. Already, already kind of beautiful. I think the only real thing we need is like a core mechanic. And then I think my my gut is the sort of, um, what's it? The one from Cthulhu Dark where it's like you roll D6. You add a D6 if your adjective helps you like if your dog is being brave you get 2d6 and then you get a third d6 if you're this is like the 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 trophy roll or the uh i can't remember what they call it in cthulhu dark but like the the cosmic thing um mm-hmm. so that's either the world is a fuck die or the dead cops like if if what you're doing will result in dead cops you get an additional die so you have up to 3d6 you roll them and then you have the sort of traditional like one to three is a failure, four to five is mixed, and six is a success. Then I think something that I saw Caesar Capical talking about on Twitter, which I put in my my own like my Discord server that's just me, my little note taking trick. Nice. Um is the idea of instead of a success with complication, calling it a failure with mitigation and saying like if you roll a four or five you don't get your task done unless you have the resources with you that can turn that four or five into a six. And I see. That's cool. And in this game where we're trash riflers, that's real easy. And saying, like, I want to break down this bank vault door, and I roll a four. But in my trash stash, which is an awesome phrase that I'm writing down. Trash stash. Uh, in my trash stash, I have... A crowbar, which I can wedge into the bank vault door, and I also have this length of like bungee cord. So we're gonna use the bungee cord, tie it around my waist, tie the other side to the crowbar, and I'm just gonna book ass with my full body <laughs> momentum to use that torque on the crowbar to open the bank vault. So now nice. I have a four plus two, which is gonna turn it into a six. So I took this mixed result. I added my trash, which the game is all about trash, and I turned it into a success, and I opened the the, the door. Um, any thoughts on that? I definitely kind of steamrolled. No, that's perfect. I no notes. Like that is just so good. I'm just I'm just listening and and nodding my head like yeah, that's great. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I would say so. You're rolling between 1 and 3d6. Let's say every time you roll, assuming that cops are present in some way, the ghosts of of cops are here, you have a three-digit number. Like your 3d6 is a three-digit number, and that's how many cops you can add to your total. Oh, nice. And then if it's like a critical success, you get a stupidly big number or something yeah, like that. Yeah, just make, or- it, make it thousands instead of hundreds or whatever, like... You can, or when you, ooh, for every something, for every kind of like boon that you're doing, you get to move the decibel place over, or like add a zero, I guess would call it. Yes. So yes. instead of saying, you know, I got 341 dead cops, I I crit, so then now it's 341,000. <laughs> <laughs> it has knock-on effects that are cataclysmic. 
Yeah, I mean, because the cops are spectral, we don't even necessarily have to explain why there are so many in that area. It could just be like a... I open the bank vault, and the cre- like the sound that it makes just shatters a bunch of fucking ghosts. Right, yeah, the vault was holding like the data trail of this many million. Yeah. And, yeah, I like it. Because the world is a fuck. We don't understand why this world is full of hate and why... Especially because we are anthro animals. Like, we're cleaning up... nothing to do with us. We're trash, man. We're we're cleaning up after the human fuckery. (laughs) The world is a fuck. Um, Dope. I think, I mean, that's a game. Ship it. As far as I'm concerned, that's a one-pager that I could publish by the time this is out. Yeah, uh, which, which we will I'm just, put up on our Ko-Fi page. Yes, uh, go to braintrust.rocks and become a subscriber or give us a tip to access this game and bonus episodes and a more shit. Got a little little ad in there. Got a little ad. Go check out braintrust.rocks. back on the brain trust podcast you just heard us uh build the born to die the official born to die (laughs) rpg um and we are going to dig back into our uh episode bag and pull out something we were talking about last time uh when we talked about research which is how do we research things like adventures in particular um, something I've been doing a lot of, but I think this is might be a new segment. I hate to give myself more work here, but I think this is a new segment. RPG troubleshooting? Uh, yeah, RPG troubleshooting. What do we think that that sounds like? Uh, my opinion... It kind of sounds like a Home Depot thing to me. <laughs> okay, this is maybe in line. I was thinking like PSA, like a little bit soft. It's got synths that have a little bit of attack, but they're j- kind of gentle, almost like the more you know. Like, oh, I see. RPG troubleshooting. We're here to help. Oh, that literally is the Home Depot, isn't it? We're here to help. <laughs> but they have like the kind of butt rock sound. I like yeah. the PSA, the Morino kind of public access. Um, How can I help you today? <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, we are talking about. Um, you know, studying from games and how we like use games as reference and stuff, and adventures in particular. Um, I wonder, like, what your experience is. Last time you talked about your uh, movable little like shifts table of games that you have around. What does it yeah. look like when you're kind of making your way through those? Unfortunately, I just kind of put them back where they started. I just in the mail today received a bunch of transparent sticky notes, which is my next game design Ooh. hack. Um, because you know I'm a big sticky note person in terms of design. I love to write down, like, I have one of those, like, science presentation boards, uh, science fair kind of things, and I'll put all my character classes as columns, and then I'll use sticky notes to say, like, I want someone to have this ability, and then I'll put it in a column and kind of, like, move things around make sure everybody is treated, I guess, not fairly, I guess, but, you know, like... With the same level of consideration and has cool, like enough cool buttons to push. 
So and then because they're sticky notes, I can move them around. There's a fluidity, but there's also a tangibility to everything. Nice. So now I got transparent ones, which means I can open up a book and write where the rule is in that book, make a note, and it's it's in context versus taking things out of context from a book into my notebook, which still serves a great function. But now later on, I can open up like Mutant Year Zero, for example, and I've got notes in there about like, here's this thing that I like about their mutant shit or whatever. Um, I also got it so I can play Thousand Year Old Vampire while about writing nice. in the book. Um, but with adventure design, that's a really hard spot for me personally. It's my least favorite aspect of design. Yeah. Um, it's the thing I do last because I'm kind of dreading it because I butt up against, and this is a thing that we talk about on the show a lot. I butt up against the idea of here is the setting and the rules and you can do whatever you want. And here is kind of implicitly the right way to play it. Um, Interesting. Yeah. That's, and this is me projecting and, and yeah. it's also coming from frankly, the D and D written adventures that I think are, are kind of ass. Um, oh my God. So I yeah. look at something like I have all the, a bunch of Morkborg adventure design, uh, adventure zines. And that's obviously because I'm working on Bloodborg. That's specifically of interest to me. But the way adventure design works in that, or at least my dilution of it right now, is you give players a reason to be doing whatever they're doing. Then you give them a couple locations, whether they be actually linked together in a geographical way like a dungeon, or kind of overland, point-crawly, kind of you you make your own path. And then um, along that path is a sort of almost like a mystery style they're all going to point you towards this one location that is the end or the boss battle or whatever the significant Mm -hmm. location and it gives enough information this is also something i've learned from us playing wolves upon the coast it's give you a little bit give you the information you need about like who's there and what's going on but the players are always going to dictate the rest so you don't need to design what happens if you do this what do like turn to page x if you do that like it's not a choose your own adventure it truly is this open-ended play style right and so i try to make my adventures with that in mind i don't know truthfully how successful i am compared to the the people who i read who i really am inspired by and really like that adventure format because just have the hours of that kind well, of yeah, design. But, but also, you know, there's there's that invisible space between the written text and the GM's words that are spoken. You know, like how a GM interprets that or how they relay that information to their players. And so if I'm playing an adventure that I wrote, so much of it exists in my head that it's hard to distinguish if I did a good job writing it or not. Um, there, there, there's a pretty cool Good Friends of Jackson Elias episode shout out that uh they talk about designing and i think i mentioned this on the show um designing for yourself you only need a few notes or even an idea designing for if you were to hand me something to run 
it would be different, but it wouldn't be press ready, right? You would give some more context, some more other stuff. And then having it for publication, this third level, finding out what you need when, right? So like when you're creating adventure to test, you might actually just not need anything other than the thoughts in your head. If you're handing it to someone else or you're developing it more, maybe it hits the page and, you know, finding out where you sit with that and design um, is pretty cool. Yeah. I'd, pretty good app. If we could link that in the show notes, yeah, that sure. would be really helpful too. Um, yeah, absolutely killer. Um, Anthony from the Brain Trust has has sent me all of the good episodes, <laughs> which is the best. It's such a good podcast. But um, yeah, I'm going to send you a doc. I have been doing lots of research on the city adventure, the city book. And I am taking notes on the stuff that I like. I'm moving through lots of things to kind of get um, what I want out of each one of these books. And when things are particularly spicy and, and relevant to the stuff I'm making, I will take some deeper notes. So, for example... I was uh, studying an adventure called uh, the Carmilla Sanction, which is an adventure for Knights Black Agents uh, by Kenneth Height. Um, And the adventure has you in, you're basically playing an adventure within war-torn post-war Berlin. So it's a very spicy scenario where there's, the city is kind of divided up different ways. There's lots of things going on. different factions doing their stuff and you have to find out where Carmilla is a vampire. Um, so it's Carmilla from the book Carmilla and she has like 12 doppelgangers all around the city and you have to find out which one is her. And the game takes you into the sandbox setting in a, what I find to be a pretty exquisitely written and realized setting. Um, I think Ken Hyde is really good at this stuff. One of my adventure writer goals, hashtag, um, And so I was reading the adventure and then taking notes on it, scene by scene, showing what the scene is expressing to the players, the methods of interaction, and how it leads into future scenes. So like a really kind of technical, taking away the story, looking at what is the function and what is the scene flexing here. Um, And that's one way I've found when I want to really get inside of like, the, the functional design of something like that, it's kind of like transcription for music. You know, it's not about playing. It's not about writing. You're just figuring out how the author is thinking about this thing on a functional level. Yeah, I find that I am, a um, again, like digging into Borgian, Borgian adventure design and finding the people whose work I like in that because they're accomplishing that they're having a voice they're making their ideas clear and effective and evocative whether that be through writing or layout or art or whatever and for me as a gm that's definitely enough because i like going loosey-goosey um another thing that i struggle with in venture design is making sure that i'm accommodating for other types of gm that aren't just how i like to do it or even players, like different yeah. methods of player interaction. So something I think that's a really good takeaway for folks is um, I'm going to say something and then I'm going to reel it right back. And I'm realizing we're running a little bit over. 
Um, and this might be a good spot to just do a little bonus about the stuff we're talking about. Get nice and tantalizing about it. How does that sound? Yeah, I'm down. Let's go. Cool. <laughs> we're going to continue this into a bonus episode. Um, so we're already releasing one um, to everybody on the feed. If you want to hear the rest of this conversation. Oh, that's so evil. Pay yeah, up. fuckers. Give us, give us some cash, dude. Um, please, sir. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, you can go to braintrust.rocks. You can find the Ko-Fi um, where this episode will be posted uh, in tandem with uh, the bonus episode where we'll talk a little bit more about adventure design, transcription, that kind of stuff. Um, and the the Born to Die RPG will be up there as well. Yeah, check it out. Um, but otherwise, uh, where can people find you, Adam? Uh, catch me at worldchamp.io. And also uh, pre-save or get, click to get notified when we launch Bloodborg at bloodborg.com. Sick. Um, you can uh, find all my stuff at uh, goodluckpress.co, and you can go find me on Twitter at will underscore J-O-B-S-T. If I hit 2,000 followers, um, it'll just be stupid. <laughs> it'll just be a stupid thing happening in 2024. Shouldn't happen. It is stupid. Um, anyway, uh, we will catch you next week um, on the Brain Trust Podcast, but otherwise, brain emoji, handshake emoji. Mm-hmm.